good to be back. Thank you for um, your prayers the last couple of weeks. I just told Mark, uh, we'll see if the fog lifts. So I'm still in Nepalese time, which is 12 hours and 45 minutes later than our time. So uh, it's kind of foggy right there. So just bear with me. The, uh, on the back of this are some announcements that you should probably read and pay attention to. We, boy, have a lot of things going on. I was just reading it. Um, Bill, I'm interested in your class, uh, 10 Most Misunderstood Verses in the Bible. So I'm going to, uh, how many weeks is that? Because I may just step out of the pulpit for 10 weeks and come. <laughs> Maybe you can help me figure out some of these misunderstood verses. So if you've not been to Bill Spears' class, uh, it's, it's worth going to. Uh, you can read the rest at the bottom. The only other thing I want to bring attention to is this Wednesday, I start a basic theology class here on Wednesday nights, and um, child care is provided, and we're going to walk through our, basically our doctrinal statement. We're going to look at why do we believe what we believe, and why does it matter? Is it important? Why is it important? Um, we make these statements, but what do they mean? And are we really willing to die for them? So we're going to start Wednesday night there. Uh, a couple of things I would like to pray for. One is uh, Don Wolf made it through surgery on Thursday, Friday, Thursday night or Friday. I was on the airplane, so I don't quite know when it happened, but he's doing well. I've been texting with um, them back and forth and hearing the news. Um, also, we need to lift up a couple of people. Tim Glasgow said goodbye to his mother. It uh, wasn't unexpected. But it doesn't matter if it's expected or not, does it? He said goodbye to his mom. He was there when she passed, and we're glad. And then I think some of you may know Mary Jo Melvin, Jim Melvin's mom. Um, She passed away unexpectedly, so we need to pray for Jim during this time. It's hard to say goodbye to your parents. And then Julia White, Jeff White, one of our elders, Julia White, they were on vacation, I hear, and down in Texas, and she had to go to the hospital, so she's in the hospital right now. I don't even know quite all that's going on. I just know we need to pray for her. So let's stop and lift all these things up to the Lord. Father, we lift these names up and the others who we don't know in our congregation who are hurting or sick right now. Father, we lift them up as well. Uh, Thanks for Don and Patty that he's healthy enough now after all the chemo to go through surgery. And we pray, Lord, that this would uh, take care of the problem. As we've said before, Lord, um, we just want you to deal with this cancer and uh, get it taken care of. Father, we do lift up Tim and Jim as they have said goodbye to their mothers this week. Lord, that's uh, so hard. We're just not meant to say goodbye to people. We're not created for that. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with them during this time of grief and their families and help them uh, stand with them. Father, I pray for the White family while Julie is in the hospital. I pray that you would heal her. And Lord, uh, just keep track of the family and stay close to them. And Father, I continue to lift up our president and our nation and our government, all the way from our president down to all of our local city council members. Uh, Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your help. There sure are a lot of things going on right now uh, that's hard for us to make sense of. And uh, so we, we look to you, Lord, with wisdom, for wisdom. And we look to you for guidance, knowing that you care about us and you care about every nation in the world. So we pray that you would uh, just be very involved with our nation as well. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in, uh, as Mark said, we're in the middle of Micah, a three-week series on Micah. Um, He asked how many of you have heard a sermon. How many of you have read Micah? 
Let me just see that. Oh, okay, that's, that's good. That's more than I expected. It's one of the small, smaller prophets. And um, Mark labeled this societal traps. Um, but we have a lot of traps going on right now in our country, don't we? I think I've told you I read the news every morning and every evening, the headlines, and I'm just astounded by what I'm, what I'm reading, the, uh, what I'm reading on both sides of, of the divide. It's not one side or the other. It's just amazing, the, the things that are happening. Uh, I've, I feel like in my lifetime we need the Lord more now than we've ever needed Him. So we're, Micah is going to give us some thoughts, some wisdom on this. Um, we're going to look specifically what happens when a leadership misleads a nation and social injustice begins to grow. That's what Micah is addressing. Let me give you just a little bit of the historical background so you know where it fits in. Um, in the 8th century, the northern kingdom, Israel, was destroyed. Now, you may remember Solomon, David's son. When he died, the nation divided and split. The northern kingdom had ten tribes. The southern kingdom had two tribes. So David's kingdom is now about 200 years into the past for where Micah's writing. Micah's writing early in the, in the prophets. Many of the prophets, most of them came after him. But the northern kingdom... Uh, it had already fallen. Micah had seen that happen. The nation was destroyed. The people were deported around the world. Before it fell, God sent four prophets to them, two of them who wrote and two of them did not. Elijah and Elisha were the two prophets to the northern kingdom. They did not write books, but we have them recorded in uh, Kings. And then we had Amos and Hosea. God sent them to the northern kingdom to denounce the social injustices that had plagued the kingdom, the northern kingdom. They defended the poor and the exploited, who they called the righteous, and they attacked the wealthy, who they called the wicked. They argued that the rampant injustice and oppression was a complete betrayal of God's covenant. It betrayed the covenant so much that it turned their worship into a mockery and an abomination. Now, when we're looking through the lens of the prophet, through their eyes, we're, we're seeing what's happening on the world from God's perspective. If you had asked the average citizen of the northern kingdom, is their worship an abomination? Is it a betrayal or a mockery? They would say, well, no, of course not. We go to the, the synagogue or the temple every regularly, and they would have seen it as good. But from God's perspective... What caused it to be a mockery was that they weren't taking care of the people that needed to be taken care of. So Amos predicted the destruction and the exile of the northern kingdom, which was a laughable idea because the northern kingdom was prosperous during this time. Assyria is knocking on the door, but they're not a real threat, and their people are just kind of blinded by their own prosperity and wealth. It was a laughable idea when he did that. But within 25 years of Amos predicting it, it happened. And Hosea was probably alive to watch it happen. The northern kingdom was decimated by the Assyrians. It was destroyed. The people were deported. They were carried off into all the nations. The nations ceased to exist. And uh, we never heard from them again. They were gone because of their, their sin. Now, in the southern kingdom during this time, they were experiencing a time of prosperity and peace. But guess what? It was an illusion. Under King Uzziah, things had gone really well. It looked like it on the surface anyway. 
But the same economic and social evils that had pervaded the northern kingdom were present in Judah, the southern kingdom as well. Underneath the surface is corruption. Under kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, those are the kings under which Micah wrote, the southern kingdom, this corruption and this oppression continued to grow. And the people began to think of Jerusalem as indestructible. That's where the temple was. God would never allow his temple to be destroyed, would he? Surely not. So they began to think that they were indestructible and they were wrong. During this time, God sent Isaiah and Micah to the southern kingdom to address their growing arrogance and the social misjustices that were beginning to occur. And right from the very beginning from these four prophets, the two who wrote to the northern kingdom, the two who wrote to the southern kingdom, we learn something very significant about God. God cares about the marginalized, the disenfranchised, and the poor. He cares about them and will do whatever it takes to hear their voice and to move on their behalf. Now, again, if you had asked the people in the southern kingdom if they thought things were going poorly, especially if you had asked the wealthy, they would say, no, things are going well. Uh, The truth is, that's not what was happening. Uh, Underneath all of that, for the lower class, life was becoming more and more unbearable. Now, Micah sat in a very unique place in history. He had just watched the northern kingdom be destroyed, and he knew the reason why. He understood it. He was there when the refugees were coming south. There's no way to describe how terrible the Assyrians were. They were some of the most uh, vile tormentors on the planet. We read about them in the scriptures, and we know about them from history. They would take the children, and they would swing them and smash their heads on the rock to kill them in front of their parents. And that's just the beginning of their evil. And the the refugees were now coming south to the southern kingdom. So Micah sat in a place where he watched the northern kingdom collapse. He watched that happen. And he knew that God had sent the Assyrians because God prophesied that through the northern prophets. As evil as these people were, that was God's decision to send them. Because they didn't take care of the poor. That was the reason. So Micah, he sees the evil growing in the southern kingdom, and he begins to prophesy. Short little book, but boy, is it powerful. He identifies the evil right up front in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 2, Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. So we're capturing a glimpse from God's eyes of what's going on in the southern kingdom. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and he treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him. The valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. He does like metaphors to help them understand God's uh, movement. All of this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? They had broken their covenant with God, and they had begun to engage in idolatry. That's why they were saying Jerusalem is their high place. That's where they used to go to worship the gods, 
following the Canaanites. So they were engaging in idolatry. This paved the way as they began to depart. Now remember, we're 200 years away from David. The glory years when you had a leader who led the people in righteous ways. Their hearts had moved away into idolatry. And as any time our hearts move away from the Lord, we began to engage in practices that we shouldn't engage in. We shouldn't engage in it. What they began to do was they began to abuse the lower class. So Micah, we're in the second, the middle section, starting in chapter 3. Micah has three oracles here that have a common theme. In chapter 3, he starts off by saying, Listen, you leaders of Jacob. So he's addressing it to the leaders. Then in verse 5, as for the prophets, now he's addressing the prophets. And then in verse 9, hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. So he's addressing the ruling classes of Israel, the southern kingdom specifically, and what they were doing to the people. And we're about to get a very graphic and bird's eye view of how God views the mistreatment and social injustices that occur. Micah's oracles reveal what was happening in the nation. I'm just going to read this chapter and listen to this language. First thing is they take advantage of the lower class. I'm in chapter 3. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Should you not embrace justice? So there's the charge right there. They're engaged in injustice, hurting people. You who hate good and love evil. Listen to the graphic language here. Who tear the skin from my people, the flesh from their bones. Who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones in pieces. Who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. That's how God views it when they were mistreating the poor, taking advantage of them. They're cannibals. That's how he sees them. Then he says they engage in evil. Then they will cry out to the Lord, verse 4, but he will not answer them. At that time he will hide his face from them because of the evil that they have done. Then he says they're selfish. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace as Uh, They proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but they don't mind preparing for war against anyone who refuses to feed them. This is just basic hypocrisy from the spiritual leaders. They're selfish. Therefore, night will come over you without visions, darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will cover their faces because there is no answer from God. So when they get to this point, God stops speaking. That's how they know. It gets quiet. He gets quiet. They know they're in trouble. Micah has this one little verse. I love it. But as for me, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might. There's that word justice again. You can see what's important to the Lord. To declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Then he goes on and says, they despise justice. Verse 9. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right. You see this spiral down? You see where they're going? They're taking advantage of a certain group of people. They're engaging in evil. They're selfish. They're despising justice. Then he goes one step further. They, they build the nation with bloodshed and wickedness. 
Verse 10. You build Zion with bloodshed. Jerusalem with wickedness. Now the people that are hearing this, they're going, huh? What are you talking about? Life is good for us. We have everything we need. God is blessing us. He'll never let us be destroyed. We're the home of his temple. And this is what Micah is saying. I wouldn't want to be in Micah's shoes. Saying these things to a people who didn't accept it. Verse 11, they go one step further. They accept bribes and they pervert justice. So her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. Her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. They had wisdom from the Lord, but they wouldn't dispense it freely. They charged you. You want to know what the Lord thinks? You have to pay. You have to pay. And finally, they're arrogant. Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. The result is in verse 12, their destruction. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become like a heap of rubble and a temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. That's what he's prophesying. Their complete destruction. Now, God's going to send a lot of prophets after this. This is one of the very first to the southern kingdom. Micah lays out at the very beginning of all the prophets to the southern kingdom, Jerusalem. He's laying out what God's basic charge is. Every prophet after this is going to repeat it. Social injustice. You're not taking care of the people that can't take care of themselves. The poor, the marginalized, the widows. You're not caring for them. Interestingly enough, when you get to the New Testament, one of the surprising verses is in Acts 3 and 4, when you have Peter and John, they go to the temple, and they're walking into the temple at the gate called Beautiful. We don't actually know where that particular gate was, but what's alarming about it is that there's a a beggar, a lame person begging right there. I just came from Nepal, where uh, I had the privilege once again of seeing temples where on every step were beggars. Every step. There's something wrong with a religion where when you're on God's doorstep, you have to beg. That's what's so amazing about that passage in Acts 3 and 4. I could see it if it's a thousand miles away from the temple and you have a beggar, but the beggar's sitting right here on God's front step of the temple, God's dwelling place, and nobody's caring for him. That's called spiritual decay. That's what was happening in the southern kingdom. That's what Micah's observing. And he lays the gauntlet down. He paves the way for all the coming prophets after him. For they all said the same thing. God cares about the marginalized and you don't. So the common theme is injustice for personal advantage. These people that he's addressing are all powerful people and they're exploiting the defenseless. Um, the defenseless are part of the covenant community and God is not going to let us get away with that. At any time in history, he never lets us get away from that, with that. Here we learn that God hates social justice. Isaiah captures the same idea. Isaiah is a contemporary of Micah. In Isaiah 5, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 
It takes discernment. In a minute, I'm going to challenge you. I've just read on the way back a survey, the latest survey, 32% of Americans trust the press. It's down 8 percentage points from 12 months ago. And it's been in decline and free fall for 10 years. Don't believe what you hear and read. It takes discernment from the Lord to know what is really right and what's not right. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I'm reading the press every day, and I'm just astounded at the things that I'm reading. I've never seen this in my lifetime. I've never seen what's happening. That we have whole groups of people doing everything they can just to undermine the current administration because they don't like the current administration. I've not seen that so public before. It's just, it's just amazing to me. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. In gruesome language, he describes these people. They're worse than wolves. That's a mild picture. Wolves in sheep's clothing, these are cannibals. They're devouring his people, crunching the bones. That's pretty powerful language. They are feeding off those who are important to God, the disadvantaged and the disenfranchised. And I think that's what is worth paying attention to. That's Micah's charge. They're feeding off the people that are important to God. You want to know who's important to God? The people that can't care for themselves. You see, Israel's history was grounded in a cry for help when the Egyptians were abusing them in Exodus 2. God goes to Moses and said, My people have groaned. I've heard their groaning. They're enslaved to Egypt. He said, They've cried out, and I remember the promise that I made. Their cry is very desperate, he says, and I see what's happening to them. They're enslaved labor, I understand. This little tiny section right here becomes the basis, the foundation for God's name. You see God's name, I am, Yahweh, is, that's his name. What's at the heart of that is a mercy and a faithfulness to his creation. He loves this entire creation. And who gets his ear first? All the way through the Bible. Who does he listen to first? You think it'd be the priests, prophets? No. It's the people who are crying out because they're desperate. They're desperate. He intervened with Israel, and he intervenes from then on to deliver those who are oppressed. So what are some things we learned from Micah's words here? Number one, this might surprise you. The kings did not make a difference. The kings didn't make a difference. The three kings during Micah's prophetic ministry were all good kings. They were good kings. They tried to lead the people in Reformation to return to the Lord. But the moral corruption was below the surface in the hearts of the people. And the kings could not change that. No president is going to save us. Let me just tell you what I think. No president is going to save us. It doesn't matter how good or bad they are. Just like in Micah's day, the corruption is below the surface. And I think it's very unwise... I'm going to read to you a passage. I just read this to the, uh, at the pastor's conference last week in Kathmandu, and I asked them if they believed it. They are uh, they're experiencing oppression from their government in ways that we would obviously look at as a violation of human rights. 
You can ask me privately what they are. I'm not going to say them because this is being recorded. But they're very clearly being oppressed. So I read this verse to them. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He says it twice. He wants to make sure we get it. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So I asked the pastors, 250 of them, do you believe that verse? And they said, yes, we do. They've lived with it most of their lives. The tendency is to criticize the government, isn't it? And to criticize our president. Criticize whatever level of government we're unhappy with. And this verse makes it very clear. I think that's a mistake. You see, when we criticize the government, you know what we do? We make a very loud statement to the surrounding world that we don't believe our own Bible. That's what we're doing. If we really believe these words, and by the way, Nero was the emperor when Paul wrote these words. Very evil emperor. So when we criticize what's happening, we're basically saying very loudly to the world, we don't believe our own theology. We really don't. How do you respond when you feel threatened? Do you become angry? Afraid? Do you hide? Pretend there's no issues? I'll tell you why I read the newspapers, the headlines every day. It's coming to my phone. This is such a turbulent time, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Because I actually believe that God is in charge. I have no idea what he's doing, but I don't want to miss it. I want to see it. Do you think the poor are there because of their own failure? I've heard some of you say that. It may be true, but it doesn't make any difference. The Bible doesn't say take care of the poor, only those who are responsible. You notice that? The Bible says take care of those that are poor, period. I'm so grateful that God hasn't made the decision on which of us are responsible and which ones aren't when he came to us. Do you believe the press and begin to criticize the government? Either president, it doesn't matter which side you're on. Our church is evenly divided on this issue from what I can tell in my conversations with you. Some are wishing we had Obama back and some are really glad we have Trump. Some can't stand Trump and some can't stand Obama. Do you believe the press? I'll be honest with you, I do not. But it doesn't matter. I believe God. It doesn't matter. My faith is not in a president. Nor is my faith in our strong military. 25 years after this prophecy, the northern kingdom disappeared. I don't know what the Lord has in store for us. I just know the Lord. That's who I know. It doesn't do any good to stick our head in the sand like an ostrich. I've heard Mark use the metaphor of the ostrich and the, the giraffe several times before, and it's really good. It doesn't do any good to stick our head in the sand. First Thessalonians says we are to be alert and sober. We are to be discerning as Christians, not necessarily blind, obedient. Believe everything you hear, but to be discerning. 
It's far more effective to pray and reach out in righteous ways to our community than it is to complain. We have an opportunity to show our county that our faith is real in the midst of turbulent times. This is what the gospel is made for. This is the reason why the church was created, because oppression is part of the world's story, has been from the beginning when they fell and will be until the Lord comes back. It's just new for us. This is what the church was created for, to move the gospel out into a broken world. And part of that means we live out our faith. We live it out the right way. We are to be alert and sober. Another thing we learn is that we have purpose. You see, the priests were given by God to oversee the judges and the leaders and hold them accountable to God's ways. They were to be the moral conscience of the nation. When both the leaders and the prophets failed, God's safety net was torn away. That's what Micah's revealing. God had to intervene directly. I don't want God to have to intervene directly. I've got plenty of stories of what that looks like. As a church, that's one of our responsibilities is to be that safety net for people. To help people think along moral lines. My advice to you is do not give up on your moral conscience. There's a reason why Peter and Paul called us priests to intervene on behalf of others. Now, I'm not trying to frighten you. Next week, we're going to look at the second half of the story of Micah, how God provided for the answer. Uh, But I would like to suggest there's a better way than fear. When you hear the end of Micah's story, you're going to see that the Lord is actually on the throne. He knows what he's doing. We play an important role in it, and it's not to become frightened. That's not it. Yeah, there are some parallels probably in our nation with what we read in Micah. I get that. But that's not a cause to become frightened. I think it's important that we remain alert and sober and we remind each other regularly to pray and live out our faith in this world. I think it's important that we work diligently to bring the gospel of Christ to the world. It is a gospel of peace and joy. You realize that, right? For some people, I'm not I'm going to say this. I just, came from, uh, I just came from Kathmandu where these people have nothing. And they're still oppressed in many, many ways. And they still are smiling. They just came through a terrible series of earthquakes. And they're still smiling, watching people turn to him. I think it's important that we represent the Lord well in a world that doesn't even understand him. They don't even know who Jesus is. They think they do, but they don't. It's all based on stereotypes. They don't have a clue. We are the ones that help them to see who Jesus really is. We have a great country. Let's continue to pray for it. Let's pray for our president. Don't get upset at the president. Don't follow in the footsteps of all these crazy people. Hold our president and Congress, our mayors, hold them up in high regard. Ask God to do his thing among them, whatever that is. Father, thank you for your goodness. 
Thank you for um, <clears throat> thank you for sending prophets to the nation. It shows me that you have a lot of patience. My goodness, you waited 200 years before you even sent these prophets. You're very patient. And not only are you patient, but you're not, letting, you're not willing to let us just drive right off the cliff. You sent prophets for a reason. To turn us back to you. and To turn our hearts back to you. Father, so I learn about your patience and I learn about your grace. I learned that you really care about the nations of this world. As destructive as Israel and Judah were, and as sinful as they became, and as arrogant as they became, you didn't lose your love for them. You didn't stop pursuing them. I have confidence, God, that you won't turn your back on us either. Thank you for the very great privilege of serving you. We are grateful. In your son's name, amen.